morning, OCC. I love y'all so much. I need my kids to do that every time I walk in the door. No, I'm so glad to be with you guys. What, what a fabulous day we've already had. I mean, first of all, Israel and our team and then our kids, it's just been, it's already good. It is already good. And so I'm glad to be able to share a little bit of God's word with you. Um, we are going to dive into a topic this morning that I think has really become a trending hot topic kind of in our culture. And that's this idea of anxiety. And so I know, y'all like, ooh, yeah, because uh, we have gotten to this place culturally where everything makes us anxious or depressed, everything. And so I, I think what's happened is instead of things that normally may cause some fleeting moments of worry, they're like taking root in us and we are kind of becoming defined by it so much so that instead of being the resilient believers God has called us to be, we've become fragile. And so fragility doesn't work hand in hand with faith. God can't ask you to do hard things and be in hard places and have hard relationships if we're fragile. And so something is not, is not jiving well. And I, and I think scripture has an answer as it always does. Um, just recently, my daughter had an experience at school and um, a child was very unkind to her. And listen, kids are unkind. They're, they're testing out uh, language and expressing themselves and they're going to say things. And some of those things you would be shocked if you knew they were coming out of your kid's mouth. You'd be like, not my kid. Yes, your kid. Because they say things and they don't have a filter. And so if they don't like you because you're tall or bigger than them or your hair is different, they don't like your shoes, they don't like your car, they don't like the color of your skin, it don't matter. At that point, it's not some deep-seated ideology. They just see something and they decide they don't like it and they want to say it. So I get this phone call and the, the school is nervous. They're like, this is what happened. It was a whole big incident. I was like, was it a big incident? Okay, so they tell me about it and the girl says something that was very mean and they talked to her and called the parents in, called her parents in and she went home for the rest of the day to think about what she said and then they talked to Chloe and Chloe was like, I'm fine. And I was like, well, did she cry? What was her disposition? She was like, well, she was sad. Um, I said, well, what did she do when it happened? Well, she went and told her teacher because she said, well, that's not right. That's not okay. And so she went and told her teacher and she felt sad about it, but she didn't cry. I said, okay, well, did she say she wanted to talk to me? They're like, no, we asked her. Did, did, we, did you, wanna, you want us to call your mom? She was like, no, she's working. So, I, and they were like, do you want to go home? And she's like, no, I have work to do in, in kindergarten. Cause she was like, hey, my work is unfinished. And so she was like, I got work to do. So what do you want to do? She was like, go back to class and do my work. And so I was, I was really grateful for her. Part of that is her temperament and her wiring. You know, she's just like, the facts are what the facts are. And I was grateful for her school rallying around here. They want to do it. But, but some part of me was like, man, where's the tension between care and safety and fragility? Because here's the thing. Everybody in this room, especially if you're over the age of 40, you knew what bullying was. But it didn't have no name, and it had no committee, and it had no rescue. I'm not saying it's bad. Some things are good. We need seatbelts. We need helmets on the bike. I'm glad to have the net on the trampoline, because Lord knows I've jumped wrong on the old school trampoline and hit that. Woo! Y'all don't even know. Y'all don't understand. You'd be like, you better stay away from that corner, but do your flip in the middle. Woo! <laughs> the memory is real. But so some things are good. Right, but there's this tension that we have to navigate between what is safety and what is creating fragility. 
I started thinking about the one time in my life that I got called to the principal's office um, for talk, talking smart to my teacher. I know, shocked. I know y'all shocked. Um, and it was bad enough that I got called to the principal's office. But when I rounded that corner and saw my father sitting in that, listen, my soul almost left my body. I, I, I was like, please do not say whatever you need to say to me in front of these people. Let's just at least keep our dignity for these people. He was like, you got these people calling me off my Got me up in here coming to see about you and you not hurt. Now what happened? What did you say? And oh, I tried to make my case. She don't treat me right and this and this and this and I didn't say nothing for a long time, daddy, but then she said this and this. And I think she just don't like me because I'm black. You know, you gotta, you throw that in there just in case you want some sympathy. My dad looked at me, he said, you are black. And he said, it, it, you're going to always have people that say something that they don't like about you or you feel like they don't like you. If you ever let me hear that somebody else's behavior is the reason that you acted a certain way, we're going to have a problem. He was like, get over it. This is the, not the harshest thing you're going to ever encounter. He said, you go back in that classroom, and in this class, it better be an A. Go back in there and apologize to her because she's still your teacher. You respect authority. We're going to let the Lord deal with her. He was like, you, this will not be your excuse. And that was a pivotal point in my life because my dad understood all the, the realities of the world. He had talked to us about how people see people differently and what it means to be kind and all that stuff. So it's not that he didn't know, but he was not going to buy into that as a reason for me to act a certain way. Because what happens is, it starts to buy into the fact that you're fragile and not resilient. It means I have to come to your rescue every time somebody says something wrong. I got to form a committee. I got to call the teacher. I got to call your professor in college. Then you get on your job and I got to call your boss. And yes, parents are calling their kids bosses. They are, because they're saying, hey, we having family vacation, I know they out of PTO, but can no because they're an adult. And I don't have to answer you because they're not a minor. Why are we on the phone? Why are we having this conversation? Because that's what's happening. And, and what, what happens is all of our anxiety and depression, you can Google it, y'all, and just see the statistics, the numbers for what has increased our anxiety and depression. And, and psychologists and a lot of research institutes say COVID made it go up even another 25%. Because now we didn't have any busyness to, to distract us from our anxiety. And here, it's, we are, in, listen, we anxious over inflation. The top ones are inflation, unemployment, uh, financial situation, political crisis, healthcare, uh, terrorism. Like, these are just anxious over things that you cannot control. None of them. You can't control. And money certainly is not the answer because if you look across countries across the world, richer countries are eight times more likely to wrestle with anxiety. You know what? Because affluence makes you think you have control. Money makes you think you have options. People in a lot of countries just trying to live every day. They're not worried about promotion. They worry about surviving. They're not worried about what school their kid gets into. They're not worried about whether or not they have relationships where everybody's in a safe space. They're trying to survive. So the more stuff you have, the more you have to worry about because it feeds into the illusion of control. 
And then there's what I call Christian anxiety. We love Jesus, but we still find reasons to worry. Is this the will, is this the will of the Lord? Should I move to this city? Should I move in this house or that house? Should I go through this lane? Is all these green lights a sign, Lord? All these red lights, is that a sign? Are you saying I shouldn't go, Jesus? I couldn't find no parking spot, it must not be the Lord. Is this, y'all laughing because you know what I'm talking about. Should I date this person? Maybe I should give this person a try. Should I take this job? Ooh, should I say something at my job? Maybe I should be quiet. What's the Lord's will? Why am I going through this? Is this a lesson? Oh, it's a lesson for me in this. Oh, oh, you know what it is? It's for you. The Lord sent me through this for you. And so, I mean, we got so many questions going on in our mind. We can't just let the word of God sit. Like, we, we are like trying to process all of these things, even those of us who have Jesus. It's just everywhere. It's everywhere. And here's the good news. God has called us to be resilient. If you have surrendered your life to Jesus, if you are a believer, and I don't mean just churchgoer, glad to have you here, but the gospel is a different thing. To say Jesus is Lord, he's the one I've surrendered my life to, he's the only way to heaven, and by my faith through God's grace, I'm choosing Jesus and Jesus alone. Because you can't add nothing to it. If you add the gospel plus anything, you're already creating anxiety. Because now you're saying, I need the gospel plus my crystals. I need the gospel plus my cards. I need the gospel and I need to understand my chakras and my vibes and my energies. And like, listen, you're saying I need these things to complement the cross because it wasn't enough. You setting yourself up for anxiety. So the gospel alone is all we need. But for, for the believer, we come from a savior who didn't have a home, didn't have a place to lay his head, wasn't popular, didn't have a closet full of clothes, didn't get promoted, was betrayed, abandoned, mistreated, rejected, tried, and crucified for something he did not do. Rose from the grave with all power and then gave you the trophy like you did it. That's the savior that we serve. And so then his only ask of us is not to live his life, to live your life with him. He's saying, believe in this. He's in charge disciples to go and spread the gospel. And he said, you will be persecuted. They, they were martyred. They were killed. Their families were threatened, burned alive. Even in countries today, people can't carry Bibles in public. And we're leaving things because our feelings got hurt. Now, I'm not saying life is not real, that pain is not real. But we are in a therapy culture. So we like to self-diagnose. And so what used to be something really special or significant, now we call anything that's offensive trauma. You've, I'm trauma, you have triggered me. And so, and then it's your fault because you didn't know my trigger. And so because of that, I need to protect my peace. I need to make space. I'm not calling you back because you're not good for me. You, I can't have you in my space because you bring negativity to me. Well, what if everybody cut you off that you brought negativity to? Oh, we're just looking for ways to name and define our problems as opposed to leaning into the answer. So we've created all of these things and God is saying, I have the answer. This is not a good use of your time. You cannot represent Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus, if you are not resilient. Because then what you're telling the world and telling yourself is that the gospel and God is only worth it when life is good. 
Because when life is hard, then I'm not talking about bless me and I'm not talking about posting what God has done. Now I need to retreat and resort to my own ways. The gospel is not enough to get me through hard times. So our anxiety is fostering fragility. And fragility does not partner with faith. God has called us to be resilient. The Bible talks about nothing but fiery trials and darts and people that are going to come for you. That's why you need the armor of God. Over and over again, Jesus is like, why are you surprised by the battle? And most of us aren't even in the real battle. We're in the shallow battle because we can't get past how we deal about shallow things. So he can't even call you to really go share the gospel. He can't even call you to speak into a hard conversation. You can't have a hard conversation when you cut off everybody that makes you uncomfortable. I'm talking about a savior who broke bread with the man he knew was going to betray him. Because he said, you at my table does not affect my assignment. You breaking bread with you, I can break bread with you and it don't break my spirit. Because I serve a father who's great. He's going to use you and your foolishness for his plan. Does not bother me. He brought men into the garden that would fail him in his time of need. They fell asleep on him. He didn't cancel or unblock or unfriend. He says, let's try again. Because that's what humans do. We disappoint. And every time I disappoint somebody, I get to remind them that God doesn't disappoint. That God is perfect. That God never fails. And I can't go into hard places and love when it don't make sense. And forgive when everybody says, holds a grudge. And I can't do anything because I'm frozen in my fragility. I gotta protect myself. Paul says, I have an answer. I have an answer for you. Philippians four is where we're gonna be for just a few moments. And it may be familiar passage of scripture, but how frequently do we apply it? Here's the answer, y'all. He says, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for what? Nothing. Nothing. He didn't say, give me your two, three, two or three things that we'll just give you a pass on. No. Anxious for nothing. There is never grounds for anxiety. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and pleading. The old school translation says supplication. Your new versions will say pleading. I want you to beg God. But how are we begging him? With thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Then he says, make your request known to God. And once you do that, the peace of God. Is somebody in here who knows? (laughs) The peace of God that passes human logic cannot be explained. Why are you at this casket and you've not lost your mind? Why are you in this hospital and you still worshiping? Why is your child struggling and you still praising? Why is your marriage weary and you still faithful? Why your finances sketchy and you still love God? Passes understanding. Will guard your heart and your mind. He says, listen, it's simple, but sometimes it's hard. It's not complicated, but we have to do it. He calls us into this. And Jesus knew that worry would be an issue. That's why he says in Matthew chapter 6, why do you worry about your life? What you'll eat or what you drink about your body, what you'll wear. He says, are you not much more valuable than the birds of the air? That's basically what he's asking. He's saying, when you worry, you are telling me that you don't understand your value. Because I've not seen a stressed bird. 
on the couch. Tell me, oh Lord. Can't find no worms. It's dry out there, God. It's tough. It's tough on the bird in the streets. It's tough, God. The birds are like, I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do. Because God has got me. And Jesus is like, that's a creature. How much more do you not know your value? And I'm not talking about the value you have because you bomb and everybody needs to understand your worth. That is, that is founded in nothing. I'm talking about Jesus Christ who said, I see value in you. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to assign a price to you and it's the life of my son. That's the value. He, why are you worrying? He says, when you worry, you're saying you don't understand your relationship with the father. My kids don't come home wondering if they're going to get to sleep in their bed. They don't wonder if I'm going to hug them when I see them. Now, they worry me about toys and a whole bunch of other things because those things are questionable. <laughs> but the things they know, they don't ask about. Mama, you coming home. Mama, we're going to sleep in the bed tonight. Mama, we're going to... Those things are givens. And Jesus is like, why are you worrying about things that are given? You, you are creating worry where there needs to be none. He goes on to say, and why do you worry about clothes? Look how the flowers of the field grow. Do they not labor or spin? They do not. Yet I tell you that even Solomon, best dressed man in history, was not dressed like one of these, like God's flowers. He says, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? He says, because the pagans run after these things. He said, you worried about things people without Jesus worried about. Why do you and the non-believer have the same list of worries? Something is not right. If me plus Jesus equal you without Jesus, then Jesus is a non-factor. I'm saying that my life is not different without Jesus. Because we got the same anxieties. We have the same worries. He said, that's what the pagans chase after. And then after all of that explanation on worry, he comes to a verse that many of us know. He said, but if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then these things will be added to you. And he's basically saying you worry because you're seeking after the wrong thing. You seek in your kingdom. And I'm telling you, I know you are beautiful and brilliant and smart and you was kind and you was good and all those things. But can I tell you, like I've learned from myself, you make horrible gods. You make a horrible master. You're horrible at being sovereign over your life. You think you know what you're doing, but you're not God. And it's going to be all good until we hit a crisis. And God is saying, if you stop seeking your kingdom and your agenda, that's why you're worried because anxiety is that waiting period to be disappointed. And I will always disappoint myself. I will always disappoint other people because I am human. The only thing in my life that never disappoints is God. He said, that's why when you seek me first, you won't have worry. I guarantee you, if you tell me what's occupying your mind, you're not wondering if the Bible is still good, if God is still there, if Jesus still went to the cross. Those are givens. So he said, what you're worrying about tells me what's most important to you. Know your value in the Father. Know what you're seeking. This happens even when we love God. We get our priorities all out of whack. Moses in number 11 uh, in Numbers chapter 11 has a whole breakdown because he's like, Lord, the people are complaining and why'd you give me these people? He says to him, why have you been so hard on your servant? Why have I not found favor in your sight? You put these people on me. Was it I who conceived all these people? Did I, are these my kids? I mean, Moses is going in. It's, I mean, listen, he's having a whole breakdown. He said, did I nurse them? 
Oh, what is the deal? And where am I supposed to give meat to all these people? All the people, 100, 600,000 of us, God, what are you doing? Then he says, because he's dramatic and we all get that way even when we love God, he says, so if you're going to deal with me this way, please kill me now. <laughs> now, God, sometimes I feel like give you that holy eye roll, that holy side eye, like, it's not that serious. Like I tell my kids when they fall down, you know, if kids fall down, the key is no eye contact. Always. When they fall, you just be like, just keep looking, just keep walking, just keep walking. Just keep walking. Like you waiting on a bone to protrude or some blood. Otherwise, they shake it off when you're not looking. You're like, you fine. So God is like, listen, I'm waiting on him to come through with the answer because that's what God does. But when Moses goes through all those dramatics, God's next words to him are, is the Lord's power too little? So here's what God does. He says, when you present me with all your problems, I present you with me. I don't need to give you an answer to your problem. I give you me. Because if you knew who I was, then you would know that even if you don't have the details, the answer's coming. I'm God. And then it goes on to explain how he fed all these people. It's the same thing that happened with Elijah. Jezebel was coming for Elijah. Like, you don't need Hulu and Netflix. Y'all, the Bible is good. Jezebel coming for Elijah, and she was all the way crazy with her man charming. And then Elijah was like, this woman coming for me, God, just take me out. These people in ministry want to quit all the time. You ain't the first. Listen, he was like, take me out, God. And he in the, tree, in the desert under the tree. And the Lord is like, ooh, you fine. Okay, let me send the angel. Elijah goes to sleep. He sends the angel. The angel make cakes while Elijah sleep, made the man breakfast. He wakes up. He smells the bread. Oh, my God, the Lord has ministered to him in his time of need. The Lord says, get out. Go out with your ministry. You fine. You fine. We all have those moments. We all have those moments. Job had that moment. Yeah, he thought he was godly. We all do on that first and second test. By that third test, you're like, all right, God, you tripping. <laughs> okay, Lord, I'm going to keep praying. By that fifth, sixth test, you're like, wait a minute, God. Because you realize you was praying, but you had a deadline in your head that you didn't tell God about. And I'm waiting on you to restore it and fix it and reverse it and change it back. He's like, no, 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 this is where we are. And then Job finally, after going through all of that and trying to represent God well, questions God. And God was like, ooh, I was waiting. I knew. This is how I'm going to strengthen your faith. I need you to trust me when none of it makes sense. And after Job, after losing his physical health, his family, his livestock, his money, everything, you would think that he had a little bit of right to ask God a question. But here's how God responds. If you want some good reading, go to Job 38 and read through the end. He just, I'll read a few things. He said, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? God's like, who, who are you, what now? Now, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you know, who set its measurements? Who stretched the line on it? What do the morning stars sing together? Who encloses the sea with doors? Who told the darkness to only come so far? And for the next two chapters, he said, I'm not going to tell you the answer that you want, but I'm going to tell you about me. Have you met me? And after he goes off, would you be like, dang, God, you couldn't be like, well, I had a conversation with Satan. You was, I, wanted to, I wanted to show him that you were faithful, so we kind of decided to do something. He didn't get in none of that. He was like, mm, who darkens the council? And you don't have any knowledge. He just explained to him who he was. And not for shaming, not to put him down, but there's assurance when I realize the vastness of God. It gives perspective to my problems. And I know Job still had a heart for the Lord because after the Lord went off on him for the next three chapters, Job's response was, I used to know you by the hearing of the ears. Yeah. 
but now my eyes see you. He had finally seen God for who he was. You can't get all of God when life is good. I'm just sorry, I wish, I wish it wasn't that way. But when every bill is paid and when the house keeps getting bigger and everybody got private school and you got a, finally got a car, finally got out the hood and life is whatever it was you were trying to make it be, God is kind of like a side afterthought. But let that stuff start slipping away. We at the altar on time for service. We fasting, Bible reading plan, life group, volunteering, fasting, giving up cards, got a prayer circle, here to serve, know all the names of God, got a Bible study, Bible app, new Bible. Lay it out. Oh God, you're worthy, God. Just all the things. So that's why he like, I can't give you everything because then you act like you don't know nobody. <laughs> I wish it wasn't that way. I wish I loved him when I was at the top of the mountain. But listen, that valley love, <laughs> when life get hard, you be like, oh God, you're worthy. <laughs> Y'all, listen, I wish I was godly when life was great. But I'd be like, oh, Lord, it's so good. Back to my life. <laughs> but let, God, but let, let life be hard. You'd have got a text right telling all your friends, if you could just intercede for me when it crossed your mind. And all kind of words. But that's what he's like, listen, if you notice, if I ask you in this room, when have you felt closest to God? It's going to be in your dark place. Isn't that crazy? You didn't feel closest to God on a promotion. When the deal went through, when your business went well, when your kid graduated, it's in the dark place. He says, because the dark place doesn't have to bring anxiety if I'm with you. So how are we in less darker places and have more anxiety? When you can look back over your life and say, I know I've been in the valley of the shadow of death and didn't fear any evil. So what is this thing now? Paul says, I can tell you how to get rid of this anxiety. I want you to have prayer and thanksgiving. It's a twofold thing. I want you to make your requests, but I also want you to recognize who God is and what he's already done. Now, some of us are pretty good at the prayer part, but he said that thanksgiving, he says with thanksgiving, like this is the tone of your request. God, I really wish you would come through and help me get this job. I love it. I'm kind of stressed. I want it. This is my dream, da, da, da. But God, you know what? Just in case you forgot, I thank you for everything you've gotten me through. I thank you that I even have a degree. Because if you like me, Jesus' name need to be on that degree. Because Lord Jesus, I wish he could have walked with me. Come on here. Come on. <laughs> Who is me and Jesus? Him, him under that. Because there's too many times that I got through school and didn't. I'm like, thank you, God. Because if I don't get this thing, I can thank you for so many other things. So many other tables I shouldn't be seated at. And God, I do wish my marriage was better. But man, I thank you so much that at least we trying. And even if I'm the only one trying, you're still good enough for both of us. God, I can, if I start to recount the goodness of God in my life. See, you cannot grumble and understand goodness. Now you can say the words thank you with an attitude, thanks. But you cannot be thankful and have an attitude. See, when my kids start complaining, I tell them, give me three things you're grateful for. Oh, family, food, my son, Pokemon. Pokemon didn't change your life. And so if they don't change their attitude, I'm like, give me three more. And we keep going. Because the thanksgiving changes everything. If I ask you right now what you need from God, you probably can give me a couple of things. But if I ask you right now what you've already received from God, oh, we wouldn't have enough time. We wouldn't have enough time. That's why he says, I need you to do it with thanksgiving. Because then guess what happens? 
When you have a grateful heart, then you activate the peace of God. Now, I need you to understand what he's saying when he says the peace of God that passes comprehension. He is talking about, this word peace means national tranquility. It really means the same word that nations use when they make a peace treaty with each other, that there will be no more war. You're at peace. Now, if you don't understand that at birth you are at war with God, you won't understand the value of this peace. Because Romans 1 says that God's wrath was poured out on all ungodliness. And in the womb, we were enemies of God because of Adam. That's just how it works. And then Ephesians 2 says you were dead in your trespasses and your sin, but Jesus has made you alive. He says your salvation is not from your works. It's a gift of grace. So over and over again, we know that without Jesus, we are at odds with God. So he gives us this peace. Romans 5.1 says we've been justified and now we have peace with God. God has granted us this good gift. However, here's the kicker. Every believer in Jesus has peace with God. Y'all say with? But not every believer has the peace of God. He's talking about the peace of God. He's saying some of y'all are living like you don't understand who God is. You got heaven on lock. Maybe you saved. You got your eternity covered. But you live in hell right here on earth because you're not letting the peace of God be active in your life. So what's happening here is Paul is showing us that we have to partner in this work. That the Christian life is not passive. God's not just coming in to rescue. He's saying, no, you're resilient. And listen, every victory doesn't come from rescue. It comes from resilience. If I pluck you out of the fight before the fight is over, that's not a victory. That's a forfeit. He says, I have called you to stay in the battle so you can be victorious in my name. So he says, you can do this. I've called you to be resilient, but I need you to do two things. I need you to constantly make your request known to me, and I need you to constantly have an attitude of thanksgiving. That's why Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer, the model for prayer, he says, look, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He says all that before he gets to give us or lead us. And Jesus was God, so he knew God knew who he was. But he's like, let me just tell you about yourself because you are our heavenly father. Let your will be done. You are great and greatly to be praised. And then by the time I get to asking for something, it's just going to be for today because I will be back tomorrow. I don't need three months worth of bread because I'm not going to do that because then I won't talk to you for three months. Just give me what I need for today, God, because we're going to do this every day and I'll be covered. Just like God sent that manna, he was like, I will do it every day. Some of us need, some of us need that four-hour bread because by nine to noon, you didn't try to live godly, the people didn't wore you down. Oh, you're like, oh, Lord, I held my tongue three times today. By 12.30, you fresh out. You're like, Jesus, I need some more. I, we got to, I need a lunch refresh. Daily, sub-daily. <laughs> That's what he's saying. Thanksgiving, the honoring of God. So we're thankful for God, all that he's done. And we're thankful to God, just who he is. But we got to do something with that peace. Come here, Jason. Where's Jason? You know what Y'all, listen, peace in my mind, it's like this perfect shot blocker. It's like if you, if you had this word to guard, means it's pacing back and forth to keep things out of your heart and your mind, the center of your affections, the center of your intellect. Peace is saying, mm, this can't come in. But it's activated by your prayer and your spirit of gratitude. Then the peace stands guard. Now, it's like if I have uh, an amazing shot blocker, six foot whatever, sitting on my bench, why would I still be wondering why I'm not getting any rebounds? 
while we're not scoring. Because this is the person who blocks the shots, but I don't have them in the game. When I'm trying to figure out my own stuff, and I'm like, you know what, I'm smart enough. Let me strategize. Let me Google. Let me vision board. Let me get my stuff together. That's what happens. Peace just sitting over there. Peace like, oh, you got it? Okay, cool. I'm sitting over here. But let me tell you something. When I pray with an attitude of thanksgiving, and life starts happening, and marriage gets hard, and I want to quit, peace is like, nope. When my kids are acting crazy, when my money is not right, people won't forgive me. I'm dealing with trauma, dealing with abuse, dealing with my past, dealing with my future, dealing with my present, dealing with the stress on my mind. I don't feel like I'm enough. Peace is like, listen, not today. Peace is like, not today. Not today. That's what the peace of God does. He comes in and he stands guard. He says, not today. And let me tell you how he does it. The peace of God is not prevention. It's protection. God is saying, I'm not going to keep the world from being the world. But when it happens, it's not going to affect who you are. You'll be able to deal with me like a resilient child of God. Thank you, Jason. This is what it does, saints. So you sitting here talking about I got to protect my peace, that's because you your own peace. If I got the peace of God, it don't need my protection, it protects me. So if, I, if I'm canceling everything because we in the cancel culture, oh, you, I don't like those words, uh-uh, I'm going to make sure that you don't ever have a mouthpiece again. We're going to cancel it, we're going dis, to dis, disconnect ourselves from it. God says, how do you know when I am not giving you the strength to stay in hard places when you quit prematurely. How do you know? I'm not talking about unhealthy and unsafe. I'm talking about the gospel goes into dirty and light, dirty and dark places. So if everything in your life is light and bright, then there's no room for the gospel to go forward. He said, you're making your life so small and so focused and so isolated. How can you be my witness? Who are you gonna tell if you don't let anybody near you? How can you get your resilience up? Everything is not about you. Every post is not about you. You're so easily offended. You think Jesus had reason to be offended? And it really was about him. He said, I can't even put you in spaces without you thinking you got to shut down or defend or back away. Or he said, when are you going to represent me if you keep making your life safe? I am your safety. I'm your safety. I'm your safety. This is what God does. And then Paul goes on at the end of that section in Philippians 4.8. He says, I want you to think about these things. You can't just jump to 4.8. He says, I want you to think about this. After you've dealt with that anxiety and you're, this is, by the way, this doesn't mean you never have anxious moments. This means you don't live in anxiety. Don't be, don't have a being of anxiety is what that word means. It's continuous present. You're going to have moments. He said, but that shouldn't be your existence. Because then that indicates what you think you're valued at. It indicates that you have taken on the culture's values. It indicates that you don't understand what peace with God means. So he says, when you are on this path, then I want you to think on whatever is praiseworthy and noble and honorable and right and good and pure. Strip your mind of that foolishness and add the goodness, the good things of God, church. And, and most of us are not going to be found scrolling. And most of us are not going to be in sound bites. You have a whole Bible. You have the entire Holy Spirit. You have the power of God, and he invites you to know him. Jesus says, come to me if you are weary. I will give you rest. 
take my yoke upon you. Learn of me and you will find rest for your souls because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me. These things weighing you down, they're not going to change. It's what the world does. But we're supposed to be in it and not of it. And so we're going to close today with a quick little time of application. Apply this truth. If you've got something on your mind and it is just weighing you down, the anxiety, taking up too much space in your mind, too much real estate in your heart, you losing sleep, it's affecting your relationships, decisions, whatever it is, a thing, a person, if you don't mind just standing to your feet, we're going to pray. We're going to offer that up to the Lord today. If you got something that's, that you know is taking up too much space, you're like, Lord, something is chipping away at my resilience. And I want to be resilient. I don't want to be strong in my own power. I want to be strong in the power of the Lord. Will you take the next 30 seconds and just offer that to God? Just let him know. I'm worried about this. What if this outcome, this possibility, this unsettled nature in my heart? to take a few moments because we're going to give our prayer with gratitude. I want you to just think of what God has done for you. This week, this year, whatever it is in your life, just think about his goodness. His protection, his healing, his favor restoration mm. Ooh, you're good God you're so good God and for our final moments I want you to consider what's weighing you down and I want you to stand it against the person and the power of God how does it compare if you were to stack all your worries, everything that you're wondering about, everything that makes you uneasy? I want you to stand that against the one who is our advocate. He is almighty, alpha and omega, the author and finisher of our faith, the branch, calls himself the bread of life, the captain of our salvation, the consolation of Israel, the cornerstone, the counselor, creator, deliverer, the door, everlasting father, faithful witness, the first and the last, the glory of the Lord, the good shepherd, the great high priest, the head of the church, the heir of all things, the horn of salvation, the I am, Emmanuel, Jehovah, king, king of the ages, king of kings, king of saints, the lamb slain, the lamb of God, the light of the world, the life, the
the lion of the tribe of Judah, Lord of all, Lord of glory, Lord of lords, Lord of righteousness, man of sorrows, mediator, mighty God, our Passover, Prince of peace, redeemer, resurrection and life, the rock, the root of David, the rose of Sharon, the shepherd and the overseer of your soul, Savior, Son of David, Son of God, Son of man, Son of the highest, the true light, the true vine, the truth, the witness, the word, the word of God, the word made flesh, and revelation calls him the amen. That's the God we serve. Woo, you're so good, God. There is not a care of this world that can stand against the character of Christ. Jesus, we, your people, we offer up to you all the places we're fragile. You've called us to be resilient. Your word says we have this treasure in jars of clay. God, that we are pressed down but not broken. So God, every worry that's weighing us down, we give it to you. It does not stand against the person and power of God. Help us to not only deal with this for our own peace, but so that we can be witnesses for what the gospel can do in the lives of others. Help us to be free and stay free. In Jesus' name, amen.